Amen. If you have your Bible, take it out to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as Elik has read for us already. We're in our series, City on a Hill, and looking at uh, the church, and looking this morning at the three essentials of the church. title of the sermon is The Three Essentials of the Church. We're going to be looking at a scripture text that tells us how the church is to function and tells us how the church is to be. What I mean by the church is not just Grace Community Church, but any church that claims Christ as its Savior and as its Lord. This is the way that church should function. Before we go on, though, we've got to understand that um, there are certain Scripture texts that we can look at, and there, there's an idea that we need to look at them with. Is that Scripture text prescriptive? Or is that scripture descriptive? And what that means is simply, is this scripture text describing to us something that happened? Or is that scripture text prescribing to us what we are supposed to do? A lot of times in the Bible we look at text and we um, go one of two ways with it. We need to read it and understand that the book of Acts has a lot of descriptive language saying this is what the early church did. This is how they functioned. This is what they did. But this morning, what we're looking at is something that is describing what they did, but is prescribing to us how we are to be as a church. The three essentials of the church are this this gospel teaching, gospel community, and gospel evangelism. Gospel teaching, gospel community, and gospel evangelism. Some of you have probably seen up on the screen or seen shirts or seen cards that we have that say 242 Student Ministry. Uh, maybe you haven't. If you were here at Fall Retreat a few months back, you know, we had our, our RP on the front of our shirt and then on the back it said 242 Student Ministry. And maybe you've seen those and thought, what is that? Um, this scripture text, Acts 2, 42 through 47, is the basis, is the focal point of our student ministry here at Grace. Gospel teaching, gospel community, gospel evangelism. The reason we chose 242 is because about over about a year ago, we sat down with our leadership team and thought it was better than you know, 242-47 student ministry. That probably wouldn't go on a t-shirt as well as just 242, so that's what we chose. And that's the basis for what we do as a student ministry and, and a basis for what we do as our church. Gospel teaching, gospel community, gospel evangelism. Before we get into the scripture, we need to understand if, that's our, if those are our principles from the text, what is the gospel? Maybe, maybe you've heard that word and you've been a part of the church for some time and you think, what, what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that you and I are sinners. Maybe you're like, okay, how is that good? It's the good news that we are sinners, but that God is also gracious. The gospel is the good news that even though we have broken God's holy, perfect law, with any, any sin we have committed, we have broken God's standard. What happens when you break a law? If, you get a, if you're speeding and you get stopped and you get a speeding ticket, what has to happen? You have to pay for that. You, you, so, some kind of punishment is incurred because we break a law. Well, we broke God's holy law by our sin. But what did God do? He sent his son Jesus, who was 100% God, but also 100% man. Meaning he had all the power of God, but said, I, I, I'll still be 100% human to understand what my creation feels. And he came to this earth 
He lived a sinless, perfect, holy, righteous life so that when he would go to a cross and die, all of the sin of the world, all of your sin, all of my sin, from, it, from the beginning of time until the end of time when God makes everything new, all of that sin was upon Jesus' shoulders. He felt the guilt and the shame, the, humil- the, the, the humiliation. He felt all of that that we may feel when we sin. He felt all of that at one moment. And he hung on a cross and he died so that he satisfied God's justice. But then he also showed us God's grace. God's grace was that Jesus, that God wouldn't make us die for our sin, but that he would send somebody to die in our place. That, that's what we all celebrate here. Like when we're singing that song, Jesus, Only Jesus, that's why we celebrate him. That's why people of so many different backgrounds, people from so many different places can gather here together on a Sunday morning, can gather in a small group on a Wednesday night, can, can sit and talk about our Lord Jesus because we have something in common that's stronger than any kind of social bond, something that's stronger than a cultural bond, and it's the fact that we are sinners and God is gracious and he has saved us from our sin. That's why we gather here together. That's why we sing. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we want to grow in our faith, because there's something that holds us together, and it's called the gospel. So let's look at our text this morning, Acts 2, 42 through 47. The first essential of the church this morning is gospel teaching. It says that the early church devoted themselves to gospel teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, when, when we think about that, we think, what kind of context was that? And we know from Acts 2, the first part of Acts 2, that it's in a large group context. We know in Acts 3 that it's in a large group context because Peter goes and he preaches at Solomon's portico. And in Acts chapter 2, he preaches and over 3,000 people get saved. So they are preaching in a large group context, teaching the Bible. This happens here at our church um, on Sunday mornings right now. It happens at 9.30 and 11 in here with adults and students. It happens at 9.30 with kids. Josh preaches over there. It happens at 5 o'clock on Sunday night at our youth worship service for our students between 7th and 12th grades. Also, we determined that the reason they get it twice is because they need it twice as much. But they, they, they get it on Sunday night. And we preach God's word in a large group context because the disciples, the apostles did. So then, but... That doesn't go far enough. We have to understand what, what they were teaching. Like, what were the apostles? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, they didn't have the New Testament yet because the apostles are the ones who wrote it. So what were they teaching? They were teaching the Old Testament. They were teaching the Old Testament, and they were teaching the sayings of Jesus because they had been with him for over three years. They were teaching how the Old Testament pointed to Christ, about how the the prophecy in Genesis 3 pointed to Jesus coming, about how all the genealogies pointed to Jesus coming in the flesh to save us from our sin. That's what they would have been teaching and preaching. They would have been teaching and preaching what they remember Jesus saying. As the Holy Spirit enlightened their mind to remember what he would have been saying, they would have been preaching those things. And we do the same thing. We preach the Old Testament because the apostles preach the Old Testament because Jesus affirmed the Old Testament as God's word, but we preach the New Testament because the apostles wrote it. We preach the New Testament because they wrote it. This is what makes sound, correct gospel teaching and doctrine so important. 
without correct teaching of what the Bible is actually saying to us and what the Bible said to them then, what the Old Testament is pointing to, without correct teaching and a lot of this stuff, we can get lost and we can maybe go wayward because we, we hear another teaching on TV or we hear somebody on the radio or on our podcast that doesn't actually go in line with what the Bible is teaching. But Luke's very clear to say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. The apostles would have been teaching simply about Jesus, and they devoted themselves to that. They also gathered together and worshipped. It says they, they gathered together in the temple and they praised God. Just like we did a few minutes ago. You know, we're sitting here singing, and I love hearing people sing because it's a lot different than what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I was at a class, it was a week-long class in seminary, and I was coming back home. And I think I was probably praising God so much because I was actually coming back home from spending 50 hours in a classroom. So I'm coming back home, and I'm driving through, uh, I, th I think, Durham, actually, and I, there's a stoplight that I get to. And before I get to that stoplight, I'm just driving. And I don't th it might have been this song we just sang, but I, I'm singing, right? And I mean, like, when I say that, like, I'm belting it out. You know, hands raised, not while I'm driving, you know, like after I stop, my hands are raised, you know, and I am belting this out, just singing something. And I make the mistake. How many of you have ever done that, by the way? Hopefully, okay, several, several saved people. All right, so like we're driving down the road, and I have my, I have my hands raised after I get to a, to a stoplight. And I'm just praising God, you know, and, and I've got them up. And I make the mistake of just thinking, I don't have a stoplight. I look over to my left, okay? So I'm like this, you know, and like tears. I mean, literally, the Holy Spirit has, has filled this car, man. And I, I'm praising God. I've done listen to a sermon, you know, and I look over. And this is what I'm getting from the guy to the right, you know, he's like, you know, he is looking at me. He's like, what is wrong with this crazy dude? And honestly, whenever, we, uh, whenever the light turned, well, first off, you know, you got two things you can do at that moment. You can play it off and just be like, you know, you know kind of put your arms down, you know, and say, okay, that's all it was. Or you can just keep going, you know. So in, in that moment, I'm like, look, I'm down here where nobody knows me. So I just kept going, you know, and just kept singing. The light turned green. Like, he took off. He was like, I'm getting away from this crazy dude. But like all that to say, that worship was great. Like, I mean, you know, you can't trade that in for anything, but when we sit in here with a group of a couple hundred or several hundred people and we are singing to our Savior, Jesus, only Jesus, you're the only person that has saved me and can save me from my sin, and we are praising God, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like hearing other God's people sing praises to him. And I'll encourage you with this, too. If you're somebody that sits out there and you're like, yeah, I don't really sing out a whole lot, I'm just encouraging you. I love to sing, sing out. Like, sing out because the more that, like, our voices swell up and God hears that praise, like, honestly, the, 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 this blessing that you may receive from seeing and hearing other people praise God. God deserves our praise. God wants our praise, but we should want to give it to him because of his kindness. Because of his grace shown toward us, we should want to praise him because of that. They're teaching. They worship. They had correct teaching. They also gather, not just in a large group, but in small group context to teach and to be together. The Bible says that they would go in each other's homes and they would gather together and they would talk about God's word, they would worship, it says they would break bread and they would pray together. This showed their necessity for God. We pray because that's one way of communication to God, but we also pray because we need God. That shows our necessity for God when we pray to him. And I'll just be honest with you, that, that sometimes that is not one of my strong suits. Like just personally, like I, prayer I know is vitally important. Prayer is, is you, you can't, 
supplement something else instead of prayer. But I can sit there all day long, man, and I can read Scripture. This is just me personally. Some of you may be the opposite, but I can read Scripture all day long if, 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 I, if I could and read and read and read. But when it comes to praying, like, I know that it's important, but I just feel in my mind, like, you know, I could actually be doing something. I could actually be being productive over here. Instead of saying, God, look, there's some things that I, you and I need to talk about, and I'm just going to sit here for, you know, 30 minutes, 15 minutes, 10 minutes, 3 minutes an hour, you know, 2 hours if you have it, I'm going to sit and talk to you. But the disciples did this. They also wanted to learn. It said they gathered together, and they wanted to learn. Jesus had told them, love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and your mind. One thing they were doing is devoting themselves to learning God's word, to learning what the apostles had to say. In our student ministry, and I know in the kids' ministry too, we use a Bible fellowship curriculum called the Gospel Project. Great, great curriculum. We have great teachers in those ministries, but the curriculum is awesome because it takes stories out of the New Testament and Old Testament. It takes ideas out of the Old Testament New Testament, and it points those toward Jesus. Great curriculum to give you a framework. If you have kids that don't attend Bible fellowship or students that don't, great curriculum to give you a framework, to give you a foundation for your faith as you grow. So their teaching happened in small groups, and it happened in large groups as well. So I want to ask you the question this morning. Are you someone who's fine with coming in here on Sunday morning and then that, that being enough? That's, that's as far as your engagement goes. Like, it, it's one of those things that you're just like, you know, I get kind of my shot in the arm for the week and I'm good for the, for the week. But there's still something that, that causes you to not be able to, to grow in your faith like you would like. Or maybe you have a desire to grow. And you're like, what's my next step in order to grow? I'm not saying that when you join a small group or, or a Bible fellowship class that you're going to, you know, become holy all of a sudden. But it is going to help you in your walk with God to desire him more and to learn about him greater. Which leads us to our second essential, gospel community. It says they shared their lives together. They shared their lives together. Small group teaching not only offers, or small group gathering not only offers intimate teaching, it offers something that we all desire in here. Every one of us would raise our hand and say we desire a real sense of belonging. We desire to want to belong to something to someone. If you belong to Christ, we should, you should desire to belong not only to a large group, but to a smaller context where your faith can grow more. I saw this prime example two summers ago. We go to camp, not the camp you just saw, that was last summer. Two summers ago, we go to camp at Wake Forest University. Great camp, <clears throat> great worship. You know, it's, it's, it was awesome to hear all the students and leaders singing. Great time. But there was one thing when we came back and, and my leadership team of students and leaders evaluated it and they were like, you know, what, what is it? What were the pros, cons? The, the pros were, you know, hey, great worship, great activities, all this stuff. But there was, there was one thing missing. They said there were 1,800 people at this camp and we just, we didn't get to know anybody. We didn't get to know anybody at this camp because, quite honestly, there's so many people going around and the schedule's so busy. You don't, you don't really get to, get to meet people and, and get to know anybody, sometimes even in your own group. So last summer, we go to the journey camp, and it, 
has that week that we go 250 people this week will have about this year it'll have about 400 the week that we go but it had about 250 people and besides you know the the water tube thing that shoots you up in the air you know and 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 the the great worship same type of camp great worship great atmosphere great recreation time great hang time all that stuff was the same but when we got back, and I've even heard this from two students this week, we got back, they said, man, we can't wait to go back. And I said, what's the funnest thing about it? And they said, well, you know, it's cool to do all the stuff we do and the worship's cool, but I just like being there because we got to know other people last year. And I heard one student actually say, yeah, I felt like I belonged somewhere. I was like, thank you for that illustration. You know, I felt like I belonged somewhere last year. But it's the truth. We all desire a sense of belonging, and a lot of times you can't get that in a large group. It takes being a part of a smaller group that is like-minded like you around the gospel to have a real sense of belonging. But that's what the New Testament church did. Their gospel community looked like this. They prayed together. They studied God's word together. They shared their lives together. It wasn't just about getting together, you know, and like lighting some candles and like sitting there like reading or something. You know, they, they shared their lives together. They had lives and they shared that. They took responsibility for each other. Verse 44 and 45 in Acts 2 says this, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They took responsibility for each other. They cared for each other. Now, I've heard this taken out of context one, maybe two other times in my life where they're like, you know, that means this is where the prescription description can kind of, can, it can get a little hairy right here. But you say, all right, all right, look, what if everybody, that just means the New Testament church, we need to just sell everything we have and put it in a big pool and just start distributing so everybody has equal stuff. That's not what this is saying. Because if I sell everything I have, who all of a sudden needs something? I do. This is just saying that whenever somebody had a need, whether it be physical or whether it be spiritual, the church met that need. They took care of each other. They had responsibility for each other because they met together for each other's good. They, they didn't meet in their homes just for, like, I'm, I'm doing this for me. They met for each other's good. So the other person in their small group, so the other person in their congregation could grow. They met together for that. I know when I was 18, almost 19, I met together with somebody probably five or six times. This was a very small community, one person, maybe, maybe two max. So it was me and one other guy, and we met together regularly. I mean, we, we still, you know, we'd work out together, and we would we'd do whatever, you know, go fishing or whatever we were going to do together, but we would talk about God's Word. We would help each other in our faith. When we were struggling, I would call him. He would call me. We were there for each other constantly, and in that four- to five-month span that that happened, my faith grew exponentially. Like, I, I honestly can't describe, like, in five months, I read the New Testament four times. Not because I'm, like, holy or nothing. I'm just saying, like, I desired God's Word, and I had a job that allowed me to be able to read that much. But I wanted to know God more because I was in a small, as small as it was, a small community with somebody, and we were helping each other grow. God didn't say, you know, gather together in a community so that you can do this thing alone. He gave us each other so that we could grow in our faith together. Paul talks about in Ephesians 4, he, he, he gives a metaphor of the body, uh, the actual human body. The, the body, unless everything is working together, can't grow properly. 
Unless everything is okay, your body can't grow properly. And he says, he's talking also about us. Unless we are on the same page, we can't grow in our faith as a body if we're not working together. If we're not um, going after gospel teaching, if we don't have a gospel community, then we definitely can't carry out the third essential, which is gospel evangelism. Gospel evangelism is living every day on a divine mission that God has put us on. If you're a believer, if you walk with Christ this morning, you're on a divine mission every day to bring those people who are in darkness because of their sin to the light because of a Savior who has saved you. And notice, it's hard to, one and two, gospel teaching and gospel community is incomplete without the third. You can have correct teaching, correct doctrine, you can have a great community, but those are incomplete if we're not showing and telling people who it is that has saved us and who it is that has given us this group of people to help us grow. The Bible also says that they found favor. Verse 47 says, they praising God and having favor with all people, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were saved. There was something about this lame group of sinners that attracted outsiders. What I mean by outsiders is those people who, who are unbelievers. There's something about this group of people that attracted outsiders. It said they were filled with awe. They're filled with awe. Why, why would that have been? Maybe it's because these people were living out something they believed, and it wasn't just something they said, but it was something that they truly believed so much that they lived it. it was, they believed it so much that they lived it. And what this made me realize this week, me personally, and, and for you as well, is that also shows us, if you're a believer, that people are watching our lives. People, they may not be watching it intentionally because we're Christians, but people are watching our lives. People read our Facebook post and look at our Facebook page. They look at our Instagram account. They, 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 look, at, they look at our lives. And when an unbeliever looks at my life, do I want them to look and be like, man, there is something different about this guy because there's something that he professes that he claims that he lives, or I just look like somebody else? It says God added to their number those who were being saved because Christ was visible through them. The Jesus who had saved these people, the Jesus who has saved us, should be visible through our, through our actions, through our words. When the power of God begins to change us and the grace of God begins to work through us, this says God changes people. God added to their number those who were being saved because God was working through them as a collective body of believers. God was working in them individually. God added to their number those who were being saved a lot of times, too, it's not just during, at points in our life whenever we're just kind of, everything's all roses and our life just looks good and everything's going well. Sometimes people are going to, hopefully they should see Jesus in a believer all the time, but it's a lot of times when we face negative situations or situations in our life that are tough is when people are going to see Christ most in us. About three years ago, I had a, a, a medical scare that, just simply, you know, honestly, 
put me down for a couple of days, not, not actually physically, but, um, you know, one doctor had even said, like, look, if this is what we may think it is, you could be dead in three and a half years. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, I'm 22, I, th- I think, 20, 24, excuse me. I'm 24 years old, and I'm, I'm not supposed to be dead in three and a half years. Like, i got to live longer than that. And it was through God's word, through Philippians 4 especially, it was through God's word and through people around me that I knew were praying for me and that were encouraging me that I was able to get through this time and my faith grew outrageously. My, my hope was just, hope was, after, after I was able to get through some of the initial process of this stuff, hope was just like flowing out of me. Faith, my faith grew all because God was working through his word and working through other people. It was changing my life. So that I know in at least one time since then, when I've shared the gospel with somebody, I've been able to offer them a word of saying, you know what? I know a Jesus who at my worst point in my life thus far gave me peace that I could not explain. Not because I'm special, because God was working through me. God was working through other people to show unbelievers who it is that saves me and who it is that I know. It reminds me uh, of... This, these three essentials remind me of a movie that you've probably all seen. I say probably. Most of you, maybe all of you have seen, probably even watched it about a month and a half ago. Anybody seen Home Alone? Any, any, okay, yeah, quite a few of you. The ones that didn't raise your hand probably really have. So, like, um, you've seen it. And what happens in the movie Home Alone? They're gonna, the, the McAllisters are going to go on vacation. And where are they going? They're going on vacation, and they're going to France. And... They wake up one morning thinking that the clocks are, you know, something else and the clock's really messed up on them. And what happens is they have to rush together to get everything together and they take off the airport and they go and they're going and they fly all the way to where they're going. And they get there and what did they realize they had forgotten in the melee? What's his name? Yes, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, they, they forgot Kevin. So they get there and Kevin... It's not with them, even though, you know, a couple of the siblings are like, who cares? You know, Kevin's not with them. And what's he doing? Instead, he's back at home, and he's fending off these robbers. You know, I just side note, when I was a little kid, which I think I was five when I first saw that movie or so, and I was like, man, I hope robbers break into my house so I can do this. And then I got a little older, and I'm like, no, just stay out. You know, if you're going to just stay out instead. But, like, they're on vacation, and what happens? They get over there, and they realize that Kevin's missing. So what does his mom do? Kate, she comes all the way back home, flies back to Scranton, Pennsylvania. What happens there? She can't get a flight back to Chicago, so she has to hop on a bus with the Polka Kings of the Midwest, and she goes all the way back to Chicago on a bus. Why? Because they were missing an essential, and the rest of their trip was wrecked. They were missing an essential part of their family, and the rest of their trip was completely wrecked. The three essentials that God has given to us are to fulfill his one mission. The three essentials God has given to us are to fulfill his one mission, which is to grow the body of Christ. So I'm going to ask you this question. Are you participating in the essentials of the church? Are you devoting your time to, to open in your Bible and to study God's word and say, all right, you know, I, I want to know what correct doctrine is, and I want to I listen to people. I want to have people on my podcast that teach correct doctrine. I want to go to a group who's going to teach correct doctrine, because without that, what, 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 do you, what do you have without 
correct gospel teaching, you have no foundation. None. That's an essential. Are you coming in here on Sunday morning and you're trying this thing on your own? You come in here and you, you sit and you're kind of like, you know, it's a large group, so when everybody's, you know, kind of when it's done, I can just slip out the back or whatever and I can just go through the rest of my week and I'm good. The fact is, Jesus died for the body. Jesus died for the body of believers and he's called us to help each other grow in our faith together. Maybe some of you this morning, if you still have your connection card and there's a spot on there that says, I want to be a part of a small group, maybe that's your next step. Is to say, you know what, we, we need to be a part of one, boom, and, and mark it down. Maybe if you're, a, if, if you're a married couple, you're like, look, we're not attending anything right now, and, and we need to start that, so I'll just mark it down, and somebody will contact me to let me know what my next step is so I can grow in my faith. Or maybe, maybe you've got the first two down pat. You're like, you know, I, I think I'm pretty good on my, my correct teaching, and I've got a community, a large group that I come in here and worship with, and a small group, a Bible fellowship class, or a small group that I meet with. But I just can't seem to evangelize. <clears throat> I don't seem to either have time or look for opportunities or take those opportunities that I actually have. But without sharing with other people what it is that God has done and is doing in our life, how are they going to ever know the grace of God that has been shown to you? How are they going to know the grace of God that we have if, if we're not sharing that with them? So I'll leave you with this question this morning and we'll worship with one last song, are you plugging into the essentials of the church, fulfilling God's purpose for the church and for your life? Are you plugging into the essentials of the church, fulfilling God's purpose for the church and for your life?